0: Please stand with me as we read God's word. Joshua 2 says, "And And Joshua the son of Nun sent two men secretly from Shittim as spies, saying, Go and view the land, especially Jericho. And they went and came into the house of a prostitute whose name was Rahab and lodged there. And it was told to the king of Jericho, Behold, men of Israel have come here tonight to search out the land. that as I have dealt kindly with you, you also will deal kindly with my father's house and give me a sure sign that you will save alive my father and mother, my brothers and sisters and all who belong to them and deliver our lives from death. And the men said to her, our life for yours even to death. If you do not tell this business of ours, then when the Lord gives us the land, we will deal kindly and faithfully with you. And then she let them down by a rope through the window, for her house was built into the city wall, so that she lived in the wall. And she said, said to them, Go into the hills, or the pursuers will encounter you, and hide there three days until the pursuers have returned, and then afterward you may go on your way. And the men said to her, We will be, guilt, we will be guiltless with respect to this oath of yours that you have made us swear Behold, when we come into the land, you shall tie this scarlet cord in the window through which you let us down, and you shall gather into your house your father and mother, your brothers and all your father's household. And then if anyone goes out of the doors of your house into the street, his blood shall be on his own head, and we shall be guiltless. But if a hand is laid on anyone who is with you in the house, his blood shall be on our head. But if you tell this business of ours, then we shall be guiltless with respect to your oath that you have made us swear. And she said, According to your words, so be it. And then she sent them away, and they departed. And she tied the scarlet cord in the window. They departed and went into the hills and remained there three days until the pursuers returned. And the pursuers searched all along the way and found nothing. And then the two men returned, and they came down from the hills and passed over and came to Joshua, the son of Nun, and they told him all that had happened to them. And they said to to Joshua, truly the Lord has given all the land into our hands, and also all the inhabitants of the land melt away because of us. You may be seated.
1: Well, good morning, everyone. I hope you all are doing well. I'm excited for the opportunity uh, to be up here this morning to preach. Um, I'm also excited that it's Christmas time. Uh, when Justin called me a few weeks ago to ask if I'd be willing to preach, um, he played his cards right because he, he played the angle that it's going to be part of our Christmas series and he knows how much I love Christmas, so it'd be really hard for me to say no. Um, but no, I'm, I'm, I'm excited for this opportunity. I'm thankful for this opportunity. Um, now, just to refresh your memory or if you happen to miss last week, Uh, We are currently working through our Advent series, which is called The Family Tree. And so we're looking at the genealogy of Jesus that we find in Matthew's gospel. And we're focusing on several of Christ's ancestors. So last week, Justin kicked off the series and focused us on Abraham. And a key point from that sermon was that through the person of Abraham, we are reminded to hope in God because he's faithful to his people, he's faithful to his promises, and he's faithful to his purposes. And this week, we're going to turn our attention to Rahab. And if you're going to walk away with just one thing this morning, I would ask that it be this. Through Rahab, we are reminded that we can have peace with God. Through Rahab, we are reminded we can have peace with God. Now, before we get started, would you all join me in prayer? Father, thank you for another Sunday and another opportunity to gather with the saints to worship you. Thank you for this season of Advent. We are reminded you kept your promise and sent Jesus, the Lamb of God and the Savior of the world. And thank you that through him, we can have peace with you. Lord, I ask that as we study your word right now, you would soften our hearts and make our minds receptive to your word. And allow us to grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus. Lord, I ask that as I preach your word, you would allow me to do it with, boldly, with clarity, and in love. And we pray all of this in Christ's name. Amen. <clears throat> so as I mentioned, I love Christmas. and So of course that involves the music, the lights, the traditions, and also the movies. Uh, My favorite Christmas movies are kind of those classic ones we all think of. Elf, Christmas Story, Christmas Carol, Home Alone 1 and 2, uh, It's a Wonderful Life. But another one of my favorites that I think gets overshadowed a lot because there's such just awesome ones out there is The Santa Claus with Tim Allen. Now, if you're not familiar with that one, Tim Allen plays this character called uh, Scott Calvin, and he becomes the next Santa Claus. And so the movie follows his progression of accepting this new reality despite his own doubt and the doubts of others. But of course by the end of the movie, he and those closest to him have fully embraced this new identity just in time for him to be able to go off and and give all the presents to all the kids around the world. Now the reason I bring up this movie is because as we watch Scott Calvin become Santa Claus, we observe two things about identity. First, as he assumes this new identity as Santa, we see a noticeable transformation take place. His personality changes, he becomes more jolly and happy, and a physical transformation takes place. He puts on a lot of weight, which you can't have a skinny Santa Claus, his hair turns white and he grows this big beard, and when he tries to dye the hair and shave the beard off, the hair immediately turns white again and the beard grows right back. So his identity changes, and with that change comes a transformation. But despite the new identity, despite the transformation, we're still reminded of his former identity. He's still known as Scott Calvin to many people. We find out Scott Calvin is lactose intolerant, which is kind of inconvenient for Santa Claus. And we also watch several of the people closest to him really wrestle with balancing his former identity and and the pain and the hurt that's associated with that relationship and this new identity. So despite his new identity as Santa Claus, his former identity as Scott Calvin doesn't disappear. It's not erased from memory. And when we look at Rahab, we see something similar. We see her identity has changed and there's a transformation that's a result of this new identity. And yet her past isn't erased. Despite the new identity, we still have memory of her former identity. And so this morning, we're going to consider her new identity and transformation, and also consider what it means that her former identity isn't erased. So first, let's talk about the new identity. We meet Rahab in Joshua chapter 2, which Randy just read for us. And when she's first introduced, did you notice we're actually not told her name first? What was the description that was used to initially describe her? We're told her profession. Verse one said, and they went and came into the house of a prostitute whose name was Rahab. Isn't that interesting? Because typically our name is, is associated with our identity. And yet scripture tells us first her profession. And so that's her reputation. That's what she was known as, the prostitute. Charles Spurgeon said of Rahab, she was a harlot, a woman that was a sinner and universally known to be such. So that's her identity, or I should say her former identity, because in Hebrews chapter 11, she's included as an example of an Old Testament saint who lived their life by faith. So if we were to put New Testament language on that, what it's saying is she's a new creation in Christ. That's her new identity. She's one of God's elect. And this faith of hers that Hebrews 11 mentions, we can observe it here in Joshua 2. Through her words, we see she has a right understanding of God. When the spies come into her house and she's talking to them, she essentially says, when we heard you were coming, we became terrified. She said our hearts melted within us. We became terrified because we've heard of your God. We heard how he parted the Red Seas and allowed you to cross over on dry ground and how he wiped out the Egyptians. We heard how he allowed you to destroy the Amorites in the desert. In verse 11, she says, the Lord, your God, he is God in the heavens above and on the earth beneath. She's saying to them, I've heard the stories about your God and I believe those stories and I believe they demonstrate that your God is the one true God. And so that's why she says, I know that the Lord has given you the land. She understands what the 10 spies Moses sent 40 years earlier didn't understand. If you remember, Moses sent 12 spies into the land to scout it out. 10 of them came back and said, oh, there's these huge giants. There's no way we can get this land. There's no way God is gonna actually do what he said he would. And yet here we have Rahab, this Gentile, understand that nothing can stop the Lord. And those who oppose him will face his judgment. So this is why in verse 13, she says, deliver our lives from death. She rightly concludes that the death God poured out onto the Egyptians and the Amorites is going to be the same outcome for Jericho. Death is the outcome for God's enemies. So one could say of Rahab that she's wise. Proverbs one, 1 1.7 says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And we see here that Rahab fears the Lord. She has a right fear of the Lord. She has a fear that's rooted in reverence and humility before the Lord. So Rahab is being wise. But this knowledge of God isn't simply that he's this holy and powerful God who possesses righteous anger and just wrath. She's also aware that he is merciful and gracious, He's slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, because in response to the sobering reality of the impending destruction, she pleads with the spies. She says, swear to me, just as I've dealt kindly with you, that you'll deal kindly with me and my family. She pleads with them to spare her and her family. And as she's talking to them, she calls God the Lord four times. If you have Joshua 2 open and you're looking at that section, you'll notice that the Lord is spelled out in all capital letters. And you may recall that's done to signify to us that the personal name of God is being used. This is the name that God revealed to Moses from the burning bush. When we see the Lord written in this way, it's to remind us this is the God who made a personal covenant with Abraham. He promised a son and said, your descendants will be as numerous as the stars. He would give them a land that they would dwell in. This is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. This is the God who rescued his people out of Egypt. This is the God who said, I will be your God, and you will be my people. And by using this personal name, Rahab seems to have some knowledge of God's character. She understands the Lord is a holy God who will bring destruction upon his enemies, but she's also aware this personal covenantal God is rich in mercy. And so by faith, she pleads for the Lord, the God of Israel to be merciful towards her and her family. And as the author of Hebrews says, it's by this faith she did not perish. But as I said earlier, with this new identity comes a transformation. And so this is why in James chapter two, when James is saying faith without works is dead, He points to Rahab as an example. He uses Rahab to illustrate this point that genuine faith produces good works. We see Rahab welcome the spies into her home. She cares for them. She provides them counsel and ultimately she helps them escape. Now for us to really be able to see and understand how that's truly, those were good works, We need to contrast that with the way the people of Jericho responded. When they learned that the Israelites had shown up, they pursued them with the intent to kill them. And when the people of Israel came back and started marching around the city, we're told in Joshua six that they locked up the city and no one could come in or out. They don't come out to the Israelites and plead for mercy. They hide within their city behind their walls. So when we look at these two responses, We see that both Rahab and the people of Jericho are driven by fear. The people of Jericho are driven by a worldly fear. Worldly fear drives you or leads you to reject the Lord. Worldly fear drives you to do whatever it takes to protect your little kingdom. Worldly fear convinces you that the walls you build can keep God out. But as I mentioned earlier, Rahab was driven by a fear of the Lord Her actions put her at risk. If she had been found harboring and aiding the enemies, she would have been punished and probably killed. But godly fear is not intimidated by the threats and punishment that the world throws at you. A godly fear echoes the words of Paul in Romans eight. If God is for us, then who can be against us? And not only does she put herself at risk, her actions ultimately were a rejection of her people. She sided with the enemy. This was an act of betrayal. But godly fear leads us to renounce all that we have so that we can be the Lord's disciples, as Jesus says in Luke 14. This fear of the Lord gave Rahab wisdom. It allowed her to understand that it was better for her to be on the Lord's side. Godly fear tells us not to fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. This knowledge allowed Rahab to understand it was safer for her to seek refuge in the Lord rather than seeking refuge in her walled, within her walled city and amongst her people. In Rahab, we have a visible illustration of the words Joshua spoke later in life. Towards the end of his life, we're told that he gathered all the tribes of Israel. And in chapter 24, he says, "'Now therefore, fear the Lord, And serve him in sincerity and in faithfulness. Put away the gods that your fathers served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your fathers served or the gods in whose land you now dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Here in Joshua 2, we see Rahab by faith. She fears the Lord and serves him in sincerity and in faithfulness. She has put away the gods of her fathers. She understands that the gods of her fathers and the walls of her city cannot provide the refuge she needs. But she also understands that she can find this refuge in the God of Israel. And this truth will be echoed later by her son Boaz. When he's speaking to his future wife, Ruth, he says, it's the God of Israel whose wings you can take refuge in. By faith, Rahab put her hope in this promise. She took refuge in the God of Israel. And this new identity resulted in a transformation. It resulted in good works despite real threats. And if you have put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, then the same is true of you. If anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. That's your new identity Paul says in Galatians four, when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son born of woman, born under the law to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. If you have taken refuge in Jesus, then your identity changes. You are no longer a slave to sin. You are no longer an enemy of God. You are no longer dead in your trespasses and sins. Those are your former identities. Your new identity is that of a son or a daughter of God. And if you're a son or daughter, then he sends his spirit into your heart. And the spirit of God transforms the people of God. The spirit of God produces his fruit in your life. And just like Rahab, he will produce good works in your life. Now it's important to note, don't get this part confused. The good works don't save us. We are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone our good works do not secure our salvation. It's the good works of Christ that have secured salvation. But our good works are a result of the salvation that you and I have received through faith in Christ. So if you are in Christ, then you're a new creation, which means your identity changes. And as a result of this new identity, there is an ongoing transformation that's taking place in your life in which you are being made more and more into the image of Christ. And yet, despite this new identity, despite the the transformation, our former identities don't simply disappear. They're not erased from memory. Think of the movie, It's a Wonderful Life. George Bailey wishes he'd never been born. So Clarence the angel shows up and he shows George what the world would be like if George had never existed. And in this alternate reality, he encounters people he knows and loves and are dear to him, including his own wife, and yet they don't know him. In this reality, in this alternate reality, they don't know him. They have no memory of him. But that's not what happens to us when we are saved and made a new creation in Christ. Yes, the old passes away. Our old identities are buried in Christ, but the memory still exists. Our old identity doesn't disappear, but the memory still lingers. And we see this in Rahab, in both Hebrews and James, where the authors are commending her Guess what they call her? Both of them. They call her Rahab the Prostitute. Isn't that interesting? I feel like if I was the one writing those, I would have chosen a different title. I would have attempted to have distanced her from this former identity, this thing that she no longer is. I would have tried to come up with a different title of who she is now Rahab the Redeemed. Rahab, the citizen of of heaven, the Rahab, the child of God, Rahab, the brave or wise, or Rahab, the great, great grandmother of mighty King David. But that's not what God inspired those two authors to do. They used her former title, which reminds us of her shameful past. Despite her new identity, her former identity hasn't been scrubbed from the pages of scripture. It's not erased from our memory. And if you are in Christ, the same is true for you. And so as I reflected on this reality that our former identity, though it's buried with Christ, it's still, the memory still lingers. I thought of two points that I wanted to share with y'all because I think it's good for us to, to continually remind us of these things. First, our former identities remind us no one is too far outside the saving reach of Christ. Rahab was a Gentile, woman with a shameful past living in a pagan land that practiced evil and wickedness and had very limited knowledge of God. The odds are not in her favor that she's going to be saved. And yet the Lord doesn't care about odds. He rescued her. Isaiah fourteen twenty seven says the Lord of armies himself has planned it. Therefore, who can stand in his way? It is his hand that is outstretched. Who can turn it back? mighty impenetrable walls cannot thwart God's plan. Being raised in a home where the word of God is not taught and perhaps it's even mocked and ridiculed does not turn back the hand of the Lord. Coming from a background that was entrenched in evil and wickedness cannot undo the work of Christ. Nothing can stop our God. He will accomplish his will. And that includes taking people dead in their trespasses and sins and raising them in Christ. This makes me think of John Newton, the author of, or the writer of um, Amazing Grace. You may recall that he was a slave trader, but then he was saved and became a pastor, an abolitionist, and later in life he said, my memory is nearly gone, but I remember two things. I am a great sinner, but Christ is a great savior. Or to put it another way, we sing this song occasionally here, our sins they are many, but his mercy is more. Our former identities remind us no one is too far outside the saving reach of Christ. Nothing is impossible for our God. So who might that person be that you're tempted to believe is a lost cause? They're too far gone. God's never going to save that person. Brothers and sisters, if God can save Rahab, if he can save John Newton, if he can raise you and me into a newness of life, then don't give up on that person. During our act series, Justin has challenged us to identify an individual that's not a believer and to be praying. And so I wanna encourage you, I wanna challenge y'all to continue doing that this Christmas season. Pray that the Lord would give you opportunities to engage with that person this Christmas season and that he would deepen that relationship. And pray that he might open the door for you to share the gospel with them. Let me encourage you during this Christmas season to consider a way that you can uniquely minister to them. Maybe it's mailing them a note of encouragement. Maybe it's taking them fresh baked Christmas cookies or inviting them over for a meal or showing up in their front yard and singing some Christmas carols. I don't know what it is, but prayerfully consider how you might be a salt and light to your neighbors because no one is too far outside the saving reach of Christ. The second reminder is that our former identities play a crucial part in our testimonies. Think about a Christmas carol. At the beginning, we meet Ebenezer Scrooge, and he's this very wealthy, but very mean, greedy, stingy man. But after he's visited by the three spirits, a transformation takes place, and he becomes this joyful, kind, and extremely generous man. And people like Bob Cratchit and Scrooge's nephew are shocked at this transformation. They're shocked by this new Scrooge. Now, if the transformation that t- after the transformation took place, if Scrooge's old identity had just been scrubbed from history and that had been erased from people's memory, would they have been shocked at this transformation? No, of course not. The reason they're so surprised and shocked is because they're comparing the new Scrooge to the old Scrooge. And the same happens with us. People are able to observe the transformation that takes place in our lives. They're able to compare our new identity with our former identity. They're able to see we were once dead in our trespasses and sins, but they now see us walking in a newness of life. So don't be ashamed. Be open and honest about the transformation that's taking place. Of course, we don't want to glamorize our sins but rejoice in the truth that God has redeemed you and he can use even our broken past. So tell others about the good work that Christ is doing in you. If you're like me, it's tempting to try and present yourself in the best light and try to protect your image. But what I have found is most often when I'm willing to be honest and share with a person about my past and current struggles and the way the Lord is transforming me, Oftentimes, that ministers to people in so much more of a meaningful way. So as you seek opportunities to engage whoever that person is that the Lord has put on your heart, look for opportunities to share with them about the transformation that the Lord's doing in your life. Look for ways to echo the words of John Newton. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I was once lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. I see. So Rahab reminds us that if you put your faith in Christ, you're a new creation. You receive a new identity. And with that new identity comes transformation. He gives us the gift of his Holy Spirit who enters our heart and sanctifies us. He transforms us by producing the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. But despite our new identity, our former identity doesn't simply vanish. It's not erased from memory When we reflect on our former identity, we are reminded of the power of God. Nothing is impossible for him. No one is too far outside his saving reach. And we also see that the Lord uses our former identity to play a part in our testimony. Now we're gonna transition to communion, but to set up this time, I wanna point to something else that happened in the exchange between Rahab and the spies. When Rahab pleaded with the spies to spare her, and her family, she asked for a sign. And we're told that the spies gave her a scarlet thread and instructed her to hang it over her window. And they said, "Whoever is within your home will be spared, but whoever comes out of your home will be killed in the battle. And in one sense, that instruction seems really practical, right? I mean, in the chaos and confusion of battle, this could be a really helpful way for the Israelites to know who's Rahab and who are her family, and that we're supposed to watch out for them and, and protect them. So in a sense, it's very practical, but there's actually a deeper and more meaningful significance to this that I don't want us to miss. After the spies return back to camp, a few chapters are gonna take place. That's Joshua two, Joshua six is when the walls come tumbling down. And in between, there are a few things take place. Um, They're gonna cross the Jordan River. God is going to part the Jordan River. They're gonna cross on dry ground. And then one of the first things they're gonna do in the land of Canaan In God's providence, he perfectly timed it that they get into the new land that he promised and they're gonna celebrate Passover. Of course, Passover is, the original one happened roughly 40 years earlier when God brought them out of Egypt. It's when God instructed his people to paint their door frames with the blood of the lambs. And as long as they stayed in their homes, death would pass them over. The Lord passed over those who were covered by the blood of the sacrificed lambs. But those not covered were not spared, and they suffered his wrath. And this scarlet thread hanging over Rahab's window serves as a reminder of Passover. It reminds us that blood had to be shed to satisfy the wrath of God. And Rahab hung this thread in her window, clinging to the promise that the Lord's judgment would pass over her and her family. And it did. But not only was she and her family spared, ultimately, She would marry into the people of Israel. She would become adopted into the family of God and she would be grafted into this family tree. And from that line would come Jesus, the savior of the world, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Jesus is the greater Passover lamb. Jesus is the greater scarlet thread. In Christ, you will find refuge. If your life is hidden in Christ, then the Lord's judgment will pass over you because God poured his wrath into his son. If you have repented of your sins and put your faith in the Lord Jesus, if you believe that his good works have secured salvation for you, then the communion table is open to you. Just as the blood over the doorpost and the scarlet thread in the window were public declarations that we belong to God, communion is a way that we publicly declare we belong to the Lord. So if you are a Christian, then you are invited to go make this public declaration. If you're not a Christian, please know this is a meal instituted by Jesus for his followers, so we would ask that you not participate. But I want to urge you, consider what you've heard this morning. We were created to be in fellowship with God and to have peace with him. But because of sin, that fellowship and that peace are broken and fractured. So for thousands of years, mankind has been looking for ways to create that peace. But their attempts continue to fall short. But through Jesus, peace can be restored. So if you want to hear more about that peace, I would love to tell you about it. I'm sure there's others here who would love to as well. Let's pray. Father, you are holy and our sin is a wicked offense to you. And yet you, being rich in mercy, while we were yet sinners, while we were dead in our trespasses and sins, while we were enemies of yours, you sent Jesus to accomplish what we can never do. He perfectly obeyed your law. He died the death we should have died. And then you rose him from the dead. And therefore, in him, we can find refuge. In Christ, because he endured your wrath, we are spared your wrath. In Christ, we are new creations and you are transforming us into your image. Lord, we ask that you would give us the courage and the love to go and proclaim this news to others. We pray all this in Christ's name, amen.